from Hollywood, I'm Martin Grove, welcoming you to our Screen Dollars podcast, Box Office Autopsy. Right now, we'll look at the movie marketplace and analyze how things are going and where they're going sharing some opinions from my perspective after decades of talking about Hollywood on CNN Entertainment Tonight and as a Hollywood Reporter columnist. It wasn't much of a weekend for moviegoing, but between them, the third weekend of Warner Brothers DC's Black Adam and the opening of Crunchyroll's PG-13 Japanese animated action-adventure one-piece film Red helped exhibitors to keep selling popcorn and soda. Exhibs, meanwhile, heaved a sigh of relief knowing Disney Marvel's Black Panther Wakanda Forever is now just one week away from igniting a desperately needed box office recovery that has nothing to do with moviegoers not wanting to go to the movies. The product slowdown these past three months was a massive mistake by distributors who gained nothing from sitting on the sidelines. On today's box office autopsy, we'll see how Black Adam and One Piece Film Red performed. And later, in our Oscar Outlook Spotlight, we'll look at how Oscar's Best Picture Race is shaping up as we move into November. But we start today with Black Adam starring Dwayne Johnson, which led the box office for the third consecutive weekend. Appropriately enough, this scene from the film is called Take the Lead. Fade now, take the lead. Listen, you two hang back till we call you. We're the anvil, you're the hammer. You're ready. Uh, you just dropped the hammer. Adam held up better than pundits expected in Weekend 3, with $18.5 million at 3,985 theaters, down just 33% from last week. Projections for Adam were for 13 to $15 million this weekend. Adam, which reportedly cost $195 million to produce, has done $137.4 million in domestic theaters. Although One Piece film Red from Crunchyroll, which is owned by Sony, was at one early point looking like it could open number one to $20 to $22 million, it wound up second to Adam with just nine and a half million at 2,367 theaters. That was actually at the high end of Hollywood handicappers' scaled back range of eight to ten million. On the first choice tracking, Red was a one-demo film. Its only appeal was to under-25 men who were only one point over norm. 
earlier in the week they'd been two points over Norm. All other demos were way under Norm. Red had been 100% fresh with critics on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's dropped slightly now to 95%. Its audience score on RT is also 95%, which usually means excellent word of mouth. Crunchyroll's last Japanese anime release, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, opened August 19th to a much stronger $21.1 million at 3,018 theaters and did just over $38 million domestic. Amazon Studios' Goodnight Oppie opened a limited theatrical run this weekend, but no grosses were released, as is typically the case when streamers dip their toes into the box office waters. The adult appeal PG documentary focuses on Opportunity, the Mars Exploration Rover, affectionately known at NASA as Oppie. Originally, Oppie was expected to function for just 90 days, but it wound up successfully exploring Mars for nearly 15 years. Critics like it a lot on Rotten Tomatoes with an 85% fresh score. This scene from Oppie will help you decide if the critics are right. This is Delta Launch Control. Go for launch. Three, three, two, two, one. Engine start and liftoff. Yeah, it's only a robot, but she becomes a family member. Our whole objective was to build two solar-powered rovers that could survive three months on Mars. And the pressure on the team is really phenomenal. Was Mars once a green world with living things and, and blue oceans? This is the very first time we breathe life into the rover. Oppie is the kind of adult appeal movie exhibitors would love to have on their screens now that moviegoers over 35 have made it clear they're happy to visit cinemas if something's playing they want to see. Streamers could be a very good source of such films. When exhibitors talk about trying to get streamers to release some of their movies theatrically, they usually have Netflix in mind. Netflix, however, has made it clear this isn't likely to happen. Although Netflix is giving Glass Onion a Knives Out Mystery, a Thanksgiving theatrical run on about 600 major circuit screens, co-CEO Ted Sarandos recently told investors it's not a first step towards more of the same. The streamer that Exhibs should be approaching is Amazon, which is already giving some films limited theatrical releases. There's Oppie, of course, which began a select theater's run this weekend and starts streaming on Amazon Prime Video November 23rd. Another good example is Harry Styles' My Policeman, which opened in theaters October 21st and started streaming this weekend. Amazon understands the added value its movies get 
by playing in cinemas, a signal that Amazon might be moving further in this direction came last week with word from Amazon Studios head Jennifer Salk that former Warner Brothers marketing president Sue Kroll is now the streamer's marketing chief. Kroll's years at Warner Brothers from 1994 to 2018 included a decade heading global marketing. Among the Warner Brothers franchises she launched were the Harry Potter films and Christopher Nolan's trilogy The Dark Knight. More recently, Kroll consulted to Amazon on the marketing of its wildly successful series The Rings of Power. It would make sense for Amazon to put Kroll's legendary marketing expertise to work not only on streaming product, but also on theatrical releases. Exhibitors should stop obsessing about Netflix and start talking to Amazon. Looking ahead, next weekend is the one exhibitors have been dreaming about since mid-July when their distributor partners shut down the product pipeline, except for horror films and a handful of lower-profile pictures. All that Exhibs had to look forward to was the then, very far off, November 11th opening of Disney Marvel's Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Finally, that box office recovery reboot is on the immediate horizon. Hollywood handicappers are still projecting Wakanda to kick off to 175 to 200 million dollars at about 4500 theaters. That could wind up as 575 to 600 million dollars domestic, which would put Wakanda second for the year to Paramount and Skydance Media's Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise, with about $717 million, and ahead of Disney Marvel's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, with over $411 million. This scene will help explain why expectations for Wakanda are running so high. Get out of my door. Get out. Hey. I'm warning you, do not take another step toward me. See how they teach the children to treat their guests. Mm. Here. Oh. You brought a spear in here. You brought a spear in here. I like it. Hey, 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 hey. Put it down, put it. You hurt yourself. Come on. It's all right, princess. Small, small girl. I am going to give you two options. You can come to Wakanda, conscious or unconscious. You need to be conscious of the way that you look. Walking around here with that ash on your head. <laughs> oh, it's funny. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. I told you. You look good. Wakanda's total awareness is huge, with an average of 38 points over norm, versus 36 points earlier in the week. Older men are its top awareness demo, with 36 points over norm, versus 35 points earlier in the week. 
Its average first-choice score is 23 points over norm, and its top first-choice demo is younger men, who are 26 points over norm. Older women are its next-best demo, with 25 points over norm. The original Black Panther opened in the pre-pandemic world on February 16th, 2018 to $202 million at 4,020 theaters. It went on to do just over $700 million domestic and nearly $647 million internationally for a worldwide queue of $1.3 billion. Black Panther and Wakanda were both directed by Ryan Coogler, who at the sequel's premiere talked about making it. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, like, it's nothing like the opportunity to, to, to uh, reconnect with people after, after so much time has changed. And a lot happened since we released the last film. You know, you had the pandemic and all types of different things that, you know, that transpired personally, interpersonally as a society. Uh, so it, it was really heartwarming to get back with, with the same folks and to see how we grow and change in that time apart. Um, and also, like, it's kind of our duty to pay it forward, to open it up to more new, new worlds, you know, for the audience and for ourselves. Black Panther received seven Oscar noms, including a Best Picture nom, a major rarity for a superhero blockbuster. It won in 2019 for production design, costume design, and original score. And since we're already talking about the Oscars, let's plug in our Oscar Outlook Spotlight and see who's looking good these days. Oscars Best Picture Race typically takes many twists and turns as early front runners are overtaken by flavor of the moment newcomers. But these five top contenders should stay the course. Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans from Universal and Amblin Entertainment is still the film topping pundits' picture projections. Not only is it Spielberg, but it's based in part on his childhood and his discovery of movies. A storyline that should play very well to Academy voters. Adding to its strength as a Best Picture contender is its appeal in key races like directing, original screenplay for Tony Kushner and Spielberg, and lead actress for Michelle Williams. There's still a lot of affection for A24's Everything Everywhere All at Once for Best Picture, as well as for directing and original screenplay for Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan. It also helps that there's a lead actress buzz for Michelle Yeoh. There's growing enthusiasm for Searchlight's The Banshees of Inisherin, plus a good buzz for directing and original screenplay for Martin McDonough, and lead acting for Colin Farrell. Paramount's Babylon is a rising picture contender, helped by its buzz for directing and original screenplay for Damien Chazelle, and for Brad Pitt for acting. Its late 1920s Hollywood setting as sounds arrival makes and breaks careers is the kind of storyline Academy members will likely like. Tom Cruise's mega-hit Top Gun Maverick from Paramount and Skydance Media continues to please pundits 
and has a strong shot at landing a Best Picture nod, despite being a mainstream commercial blockbuster. Cruz is also a very likely lead actor nominee. There also are five other Best Picture noms to be filled, and the accompanying hand-to-hand -hand combat on the awards marketing front will be another lesson in survival of the fittest. And that's a wrap for today's box office autopsy. We'll return next week to check out Wakanda Forever's opening, and in our Oscar Outlook feature, we'll be keeping our eyes on the awards world. So please join us again then, and thanks very much for listening. Time now for our film flashback look at what was happening in Hollywood right around now, way back then. Let's set today's time travel dial for November 4th, 1953. How to Marry a Millionaire, which premiered in L.A. November 4th, 1953, was 20th Century Fox's first Cinemascope feature, but the studio didn't release it until after it had opened the robe. Robe, a biblical drama, started production before the romantic musical comedy Millionaire began shooting. Although Millionaire was ready first, Fox chose Robe as its initial CinemaScope release on September 16, 1953, because it seemed likely to attract a bigger audience to experience the new widescreen process. CinemaScope led the way as Hollywood fought new competition in the early 50s from the fast-growing home entertainment medium, television. Ticket sales plunged because of the small screen's sudden popularity, and studios decided that making theater screens look bigger was the best way to fight TV. Fox's CinemaScope was an anamorphic lens process that followed the more complicated Cinerama, which required three large curved screens and specially constructed theaters. CinemaScope's screen was an extended wide rectangle that only needed a lens adapter fitted to existing theater projectors. Millionaire teamed up two top Fox stars, Betty Grable and Lauren Bacall, with the studio's new blonde bombshell, Marilyn Monroe. Grable got top billing in the credits because of her contract, but Fox knew it was Marilyn who really had moviegoers' attention and put her first in the film's trailers and posters. Looking back at the CinemaScope technology, Bacall explained in her 1979 autobiography, By Myself, that it was challenging for actors because they couldn't be too close to one another due to the long, narrow screen. 
On the other hand, the technical demands of setting up cinemascope shots now had directors filming longer scenes. Bacall, with her theatrical background, liked that because it was more like working on stage. Bacall also noted Marilyn's insecurity and complete dependency on her personal acting coach, rather than on millionaire director Jean Negulesco, who went on to make such hits as Three Coins in the Fountain, Woman's World, and Daddy Longlegs. Marilyn, according to Bacall, would look at her acting coach for a nod of approval after every take which explains why some shots wound up needing 15 or more takes. Despite the pain that caused Bacall and Grable, they chose not to go to war with Marilyn. Instead, they tried hard to make the process easier for their inexperienced and insecure co-star, so that, as Bacall put it, she'd, quote, feel she could trust us, I think she finally did." Unquote. It all paid off at the box office. Millionaire, with a budget of $1.9 million, had domestic rentals of $7.3 million. Big money then. It was 1953's fourth biggest film per Wikipedia. The biggest, Fox was right, was The Robe. It cost $5 million to produce, and was number one with rentals of $17.5 million. And that's it for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another box office autopsy next week. In Hollywood for Screen Dollars, I'm Martin Grove.